Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Talking Heels podcast, episode number 10. The guy to the right, that's Jordan Foles. I'm Nick Delahanty. We're back again to talk about another Carolina football loss, a disappointing one at that. Carolina drops to 6-2 and two with their recent loss at Georgia Tech. Has been the house of horrors, as Jordan so perfectly stated during the week on Keeping a Heel. But, you know, I, I waited for this. Not because they lost, because obviously I'm upset they lost. But I just can't wait to hear what you have to say on this matter. Yeah, I mean, where do where do we want to start? We want to start with uh, we should have lost a one in five Virginia. We want to start with this team was said to be different from last year. They weren't they weren't going to lose a game like Virginia. Then they were said they had learned from not letting a game beat them twice. And uh, this team was different and. They go into Georgia Tech and they let Virginia beat them twice. Uh, so is it coaching? Is it the players? Is it the program? At this point, you got to start thinking it's the program because it's happened for countless years uh, and different players, different coaches. So what's the problem? Uh, I don't know if anybody has that answer. I don't know if we have the answer. And honestly, after they lost to Virginia, you and I were on the different sides of things. I basically gave up on their season, and our text messages could prove that. But you were optimistic as to saying that this team was different. You know, from our standpoint, why did you have that thought process that you thought they could turn it around? Was that just you being optimistic, or was there something that you saw with this team that was different than the years past? A little bit of both. I People that know me know that when it comes, I'm not very optimistic on a lot of things in life. When it comes to the Tar Heels, <laughs> something gives me optimism. I don't know if it's just my love of the Heels or just watching them for years, just hoping for that special season in football and basketball. Um, I just keep a little bit of optimism. And But with this team, it did feel different. They started 6-0. They won the first game of the year against South Carolina, who hasn't had the best season, but at the time, Felt like a big win in primetime, college game day. They hadn't done that before. And then and then they survived the App State scare. And every team has a scare. We talked about that last week after the Virginia loss. Oklahoma has scared the week before to UCF and Washington. And there's plenty of teams that have those scares. But Carolina had one against App State, and, and they survived. And so it was like, okay, like they bounced back with a big win over Minnesota. And uh, – got punched in the mouth at Pittsburgh. We can go down the list of the whole schedule. But every time the bell is rang, they've answered the door. And uh, it it just felt different. And then the Miami game, we talked about how big of a game that was, and and they won. And then so you're sitting there and you're like, all right, Virginia, one and five. Georgia Tech isn't great, but they're not bad. But you still felt like Carolina should have been 9-0 and after these three games. And they lost the next two, and it's just been down here all since. And – you're right. You were you were on the other side of the spectrum, and uh, you were a hundred percent right. You called it, and it's just the trend for Carolina football. They have a, a tendency to be disappointing for some reason. I don't know why. I hate to sound pessimistic by saying that, but after they lost to Virginia, I just didn't think that there was a way they were going to rebound. Uh, yeah, did I think they were going to lose to Georgia Tech? No, I thought that they were going to win and kind of give us that. Okay, they're back. They're okay kind of feeling, but I thought that loss was going to come, whether it was Duke who, you know, we both talk about it all the time. Mike Elko is a great coach or to Clemson who is spiraling out of control or NC state. I thought that one of them was going to beat the Tar Heels. Now you look at this, 
do they even win another conference game? I had this debate with a buddy of mine today, and I, it's very likely you're sitting here looking at seven and five, eight and four. I, I don't, I'm not sure that that's a great question. There, I, I don't see a way they lose this weekend to Campbell, uh, just a FC, uh, lower tier opponent, just more talented. But like you said, Duke game, okay? Like, is Leonard healthy? If so. He's a running quarterback. Carolina struggles with running quarterbacks. Carolina struggled with the run the last two weeks. What what what's gonna happen there? And Clemson's firing out of control, but that's a road game in Death Valley. That's not gonna be easy, no matter who how bad Clemson is. And then State's a robbery game. They've had a number the last few years. I mean, and can't and we can't seem to get over the hump there. And even against the third string quarterback last year. So um it's very possible they don't win their conference game, and they've not had good success in the bowl game. So, uh, do they win another game this year outside Campbell? And to be honest with you, if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, we don't know how Tez Walker is. He posted on Instagram on Wednesday, his ankle's like a balloon. So, who knows if he's going to be able to go against Campbell or any of the upcoming games. And then, if you're out of it, if you're playing in a meaningless bowl game, Drake May probably doesn't suit up. Mac Brown alluded to the fact that it's going to be his senior day against Duke. You know, are do you even have a chance without Drake May on the field? That's the big question. Like, that's probably the only reason why they're still in games that they lose or these, you know, a 6-2 and two record is because of Drake May. Yeah, we, we talked about Drake. I think that's the most frustrating part. We'll, we'll get into why the frustration there is because you've had Drake May at quarterback. You've had Sam Howell at quarterback. Two generational talent quarterbacks. Who knows if we'll ever have that again in Chapel Hill. And we have – I wrote this in our article on Keeping It Hill on us on Monday is with two of the best quarterbacks in program history, Matt Brown has one bowl win, which is a military bowl win over Temple, and a one Coastal Division championship last year. So with two of the best, pro, best quarterbacks in program history, you have pretty much nothing to show for it. And I think that's where the frustration comes in. And then you add in the fact that most of that comes from the reason you have nothing to show for it is because you're not winning the games you're supposed to win. I don't have a problem losing the game to Miami when they're top 20 in the country or a really good Florida State team. But when when you have seven losses as a double-digit favorite in the last three years, that's unacceptable. I mean, unacceptable. And then the last two weeks, the coach speak, in the press conferences, it's just the more the coaches talk, the more I want to punch a wall. I'm tired. I was just going to get to that too. <laughs> I'm tired of hearing Matt Brown say most programs would love to be six and two. Yeah, I'm sure they would. But what if you tell those same programs you're going to start six and zero and lose to two inferior opponents that you're a combined thirty four point favorite against? There's nobody in the country that would sign up for that. I'm sorry to tell Mac Brown. There's nobody, especially when you're a top 10 team in the country. Uh, you tell somebody, oh, yeah, you're 6-2. and two. You, You'll get bites, and then you tell them you lose to a 1-5 Virginia team at the time, and you lose to Georgia Tech where you should have beat, and you drop out of the top 25. Everybody's going to be like, ha-ha, yeah, buddy, see you later. Like, his comments infuriate me because he's talking about how the fans are fair-weather fans, and, you know, I understand where he's coming from. Do not give me that BS that you lost that game against Virginia because of the fan base. I'm sorry. The fans are not the ones on the field. The fans can't make a stop on defense. Your players can. 
Your coaching staff can. You can make an adjustment. You fail to make an adjustment. So who is it really on, Mac? Like, at this point, stop blaming the fans. Take the credit and the blame for where it is. Yes, people are going to buy in when you're 6-0. and They're going to buy tickets to come to games. Why? They're witnessing something that could be historic. You just threw your season away in the last two weeks. Who in their right mind, and you said a great the other day when we were talking, who in their right mind is going to make a trip to Chapel Hill for a 12 o'clock game against the FCS opponent? Exactly. Nobody. And- Nobody. And to be honest with you, if you're looking at that Duke game, who's going to pay double the price to go watch that? After what they've shown the last two weeks, you'd have to say Duke's the favorite in that one. The only reason anybody's going to that Duke game is because it's Drake's senior day. Yeah, and the ticket prices are astronomical. But, and t- you mentioned top 10 ranking and Max and we, and all that stuff. The other frustrating part is Max is here and says, we're two drives away from being a top 10 team. Stop. I said it last week. Stop worrying about the rankings. It doesn't matter. And no, you're not two drives away from being a top 10 team. If you're two drives away from being a top 10 team, you wouldn't have needed those two drives. You should have beat Georgia Tech and Virginia by 20 points, by three drives combined handily at minimum. You shouldn't have needed those two game-winning drives. So stop talking about the rankings. Stop talking about how close you are being undefeated because you're not. At, that part's infuriating. And then to sit there, we've had three block punts this year. It's the most in FCS or FBS, I'm sorry. And it's they're playing like an FCS school. They're playing like FCS school at this point. <laughs> but three block punts and since week four against Pittsburgh, when the first punt was blocked, we've heard it's a problem with the shield. And Matt says it again after Georgia Tech when the punt was blocked uh against Georgia Tech on Saturday night. It's a problem with the shield. Well, fix it. You know it's a problem. It's been a problem since week four. Why are we in week eight or going in week nine and it's still a problem? Uh, change something. Like basketball analogy here, people got mad at Hubert last year for not trying the bench and changing something different. And so in the fan base, same thing here. Ch- try something different. Uh, if you're not trying something different, what are we doing? I, that part itself is and, – and then translation to the defensive side of the ball – we say in nickel for the last three drives of the game, Georgia Tech runs it 22 out of 26 plays, and we got five defensive backs on the field. Like, and then Chizik says, oh, we got to be able to stop both. Well, you didn't stop neither. So <laughs> why are you in well, well, uh, there? There's a minute and a half to go. They have a four-point lead, and we have one timeout. It's basic football clock management knowledge that they're going to run the football. They're trying to kill the clock. And you're sitting there, oh, we got to be prepared to stop the pass. Anybody in the stadium, in the country, anybody watching that game knew that Georgia Tech was running the football. And we got five defensive backs on the field. Five. And the other thing that amazes me is the these teams are in the passing game are targeting Holloway. They want to throw the ball his way because he's getting torched. And there is not one adjustment made. Give them secondary safety help. There's nothing. It's the same thing every week. I'm watching and I'm like, get this guy off the field. He can't, he's not helping you. It's hurting you, keeping him out there. They're not even helping this kid. He's a freshman. What do you think they're and he's gonna learn? He's gonna learn bad habits because they're just letting him do what he wants. I don't understand how we're going backwards. It's at this point, it and Chizit said it was a coaching problem in the fourth quarter when Georgia Tech was going tempo. Thanks, Captain Obvious. We figured that out when you said nickel for the whole fourth quarter. But 
I, I'm starting to think it is a coaching problem because it feels like the DBs are regressing. They played phenomenal against South Carolina. Played great against uh, Pittsburgh and Minnesota. It feels like Huzzy has gone backwards in development. And at this point, is it a player problem or a coach problem? What I want to know is where's all this depth that they told us they had? They're yeah, not mixing in matches. Rutgers played 80-plus snaps three weeks in a row. You mean to tell me that Bo Atkinson can't get more snaps? You mean to tell Amari me that Gaynor. you can't? Amari Gaynor? What about Amari Campbell? Yeah. At linebacker. At linebacker. At linebacker. You, he's a freshman. What are you going to do next year when Cedric Gray is gone? Cedric Gray is and not going to be here past the, the end of the season. Right? Power's gone too, right? I believe so. But think about this. When those two guys go, what are you going to do at the linebacker position? Why not get Campbell some reps? Yeah, I don't understand. Like, even for just a breather, they got gashed on back-to-back run plays for 50-plus yards against Georgia Tech because they're so exhausted. At least put somebody else out there for even just a breather. Like, if you can't trust them to be out there, why are they on the team at this point? I mean, it's week nine. The coaches, at this point, you should have them prepared for depth. And it felt like they were playing a lot more depth early in the season against Pitt, Syracuse, even Minnesota, and App. And now it feels like they don't trust these guys to play later in the year. And it's weird to think about because if you you kept saying it before the season, this team is the most the deepest team we've had. Where's the depth? You're playing these same guys, all these all these downs. If I'm Power Eccles and, and Cedric Gray, I'm shutting it down if there's a bowl game. I'm not playing in that bowl game. You're out of your head. The amount of snaps that those guys have played, the, the amount of hits that they've right. had to make this year, Cedric Gray had 18 tackles in the Virginia game. Like, that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. That just goes to show you that the rest of the defense is doing squat, diddly squat. That's two weeks in a row we're not being able to stop the run either. And then Matt says, oh, well, if we don't learn to stop the run, we're not going to win our, another game. Again, get out of nickel. Like, don't sit in nickel. This is the same defensive coordinator that sat in nickel or whatever formation he was in against Baylor in 2015 when they ran the ball 84 times without a quarterback. They didn't have a quarterback in that game and rushed 84 times, and we never stopped it. And, and think about I, and think about the last two weeks with Mac Brown, right? He was saying, oh, we should have ran the ball more against Virginia. No kidding, Sherlock. You ran the ball more, and now it's, oh, we should have done this on defense. And he made a comment in, in his one of his conferences. I don't even know which one it was because I listened to all of them. But he was saying something to the extent of, oh, yeah, it's easy to sit and point at the screen and say, you know what, this is what they should be doing. You mean to tell me? You didn't know that Virginia was the worst, one of the worst ranked rush defenses in the country before you played them. A genius. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to look at the stat sheet and be like, "Oh my God, they get torched on the ground." Let's run the ball with the, our guy who's on the Maxwell Award watch list. But no, it didn't happen, and and that's why the fan base is revolting because all this continues to spiral out of control, and the coaches are doing this. They're pointing at everybody else. Yeah, and, and it felt like the Georgia Tech game was more of a look at me. I'm going to be smart now, and we're going to run the ball a lot. And they did. They did run the ball, and Georgia Tech's a bad run defense. We rushed for 267 yards against Georgia Tech. Good. But if you notice, go back and watch that game. Notice toward the end of the third quarter, middle of the third quarter, and then all the fourth quarter, they kept running those same run plays over and over, and Georgia Tech started to stop them. 
you can't run the same thing over yeah. and over. And, and Georgia Tech adjusted. We never adjusted. If I don't know why it feels like the entire staff is going backwards on development adjustments. We were making plenty of adjustments against the Miamis and the uh, Syracuses and Pitts and Minnesotas. We made all kinds of adjustments, and now it feels like we're not making any adjustments, and the other team is making all the adjustments. So I, it's frustrating. Uh, I, I don't know where to go from here. I'm I'm not quite on the fire mat train yet, but I don't know who else you can get. Uh, and and Matt has turned the program around. It we were two and nine and three and nine before that year, and before he came in, and I get that. But through their first sixty games, Fedora had a better record. Fedora was thirty six and twenty two, and uh, or thirty eight and twenty two, and Mac is thirty six and twenty four through sixty games. They both had a bowl win, and they both have a coastal division championship. So the next the next year and the next two years will be really telling for Matt Brown two because. Next year does not look good. Uh, Connor Harrell at quarterback, we don't really know what he has, but you're losing a lot of offensive linemen. You're losing your linebacker and Cedric Gray, losing some defensive guys. Uh, future uh, is definitely in question, to say the least. And you know what the, the thing is, and, and I might be overreacting, but think remember back to Sam Howell before his last year on campus. He was regarded as a first-round pick. That guy slid to the fifth round. Look at how he's playing, right, for the commanders. Yeah, they're not the best team in the world. They got their own little chaos going, but he's bowling every week. He's really doing a nice job. Like, if they look at this team, you could say Howell's a, a capable guy who could be your, hopefully, your franchise guy. But I feel like they're doing the same thing with Drake May. And, yeah, if you look at all the mock drafts, he's still in the top five. I get that. But every time he takes the field with this team, it seems like he gets worse. Like, and it's nothing against Drake because I think he's very talented, but the last two weeks, they did not put him in a position to succeed, especially late in third down drives. Like he should not have to worry about third and nine, third and 15. Like that's not what you're designed to do. The run game should get you short yardage and then you can make the plays happen in the air. I, I think the one thing that helps Drake compared to uh, Sam is that the metrics still favor Drake a lot. Um, well, yeah, that is true. The size the and all that. He's uh, a prototypical size, guy, yeah. Size and then his pro football focus stats. Like, he still leads the country in deep or in big throws or deep throws. So, he's still making all those throws that he has to make. The problem is that he's having to make those throws. And he's getting pressured yeah. a lot more. They ran him into a sack against Virginia. The last play of the game against Virginia, the, the tackle just gets burned. And he gets hit as he's throwing an interception. But uh, guys dropping passes. Drake's not being perfect, but... Putting him in positions to succeed doesn't feel like they've done that. And it felt like it started in the Virginia game, really, when they tried to make that the Heisman game for Drake instead of letting the offense just run itself. Um, hopefully Drake works out and it doesn't hurt his stock too much because he's a great kid and uh, has a lot of talent and potential. But the frustration of not accomplishing anything with two great quarterbacks is – Definitely there. And, and of course, without Mac, we might not even have those two quarterbacks. And, and I'm totally willing to admit that. The problem is you do have those quarterbacks and you still have not accomplished anything different than what the previous ring, uh, coaching ring, uh, coaches did. But think about this, too, right? When you have an elite quarterback, think of the let's think of the NFL for a minute. If you have a Patrick Mahomes, right? You're if you're a play caller, you're not afraid to take risks on first and second down. 
because you know that Mahomes could get you 15 to 20 at any time. But if you're relying on a Drake May to do that, he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And it's a whole different game in the college level. Why not give him shorter field to work with? Because that's when Drake has made a lot of great plays. And it seems like there's more confidence within this offense when it's third and four, third and five, because the playbook expands. They know that he's going to be throwing down the field on third and 15. Like there's no two ways about it, but give him a short yardage situation. That opens up everything. Yeah. I think the other point going back to the Mahomes comparison, most, most NFL teams that have a playmaker quarterback, such as a Mahomes or a similar to a Drake May type quarterback have a go-to receiver like a Travis Kelsey or when Mahomes had Tyreek Hill. Um, I'm not sure we have like Jamar Chase with Burrow. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that. I don't think we have that. And uh, Tez is great and whatnot, but there's not a playmaker type of guy where Drake is comfortable with saying, Hey, let's, let's turn backyard football style in the middle of play and just, Hey, get open. And I'm going to hit you. I, I don't think he, ha- I don't think Drake has that freedom. And I don't think even if he had that freedom uh, from the play call standpoint or in game standpoint that, I don't think the talent is there to find somebody. If the talent was there, we would have dropped eight passes against Virginia. This team could really use a Josh Downs. Yeah, it, it could. But, hey, and Josh is great. Josh dropped the game-winning touchdown against Georgia State last year. So, is it is the yeah, program it happens. Is, the, is the program cursed? Is Great players just can't – I mean, we just can't make it happen? I, I don't know, but – it is what it is. Uh, season's pretty much all over at this point. Uh, there's a 0.1% chance they made the ACC championship game. Uh, need a lot of help. Need Louisville to lose. Need Virginia Tech to lose. And then got to win a tiebreaker. So, ain't got to win out. So, which we've already discussed. I don't think either one of us thinks that's happening. Honestly, I don't even want him to go to that game. I, I, but hey, I, I, it, it's November 1st. And when November comes Carolina basketball. That is right. We have Carolina basketball coming up this week. The men open up on Monday. The women open up on Wednesday. We're going to get to the women next week. We're going to give them their the time that they deserve. But the men had a pretty impressive scrimmage against St. Augustine. Yes, it's St. Augustine. We understand that. But we got to see a lot of the new faces. Tar Heels were without Seth Trimble and Jalen Withers, which I would have really liked to have seen Withers. But, uh, of course, you know, you put what you got. What were your takeaways from that scrimmage? I, I was very impressed. Mainly, yeah, like you mentioned, it's St. It's St. Augustine, Saint, uh, but one seventeen to fifty three, they did what teams are supposed to do against lesser competition. They put them away. Was never close, and they hit their shot. They hit shots. I mean, RJ Davis came out on fire. By the way, he's not. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, not uh all ACC first team or no, didn't even get all ACC honors preseason. So, uh, but 22 points, five of 10 from three, eight of 14 from the field. RJ was great. Uh, I think that's going to be the drive of the season. As we said last week, we'll say it all year. We go as RJ goes. My, uh, I think Harrison Ingram probably set out the most to me. I think this team is really going to benefit from having a guy like Harrison Ingram a lot. And, He's going to be that glue guy that is uh, well-known in Carolina basketball, the Danny Green type. He's going to keep this team. He's going to fill those holes and whatnot. I, I think he can provide a lot of pluses for us. 
You know, I want to touch on R.J. Davis. You know, watching that scrimmage, we haven't seen R.J. Davis get open shots like that in a very long time. Think about it. If you watch R.J. Davis in the past, he either had to facilitate his own shot or the shots were mostly contested. So it was really nice to see the ball movement from this team. Before I get into any individual players, I want to just note, if you compare it to last year's team, last year's team would have slept walk through a scrimmage like that. It would have been Absolutely. very lackadaisical. They would have came in thinking, we're the better team. We're going to win it. They would have won, obviously, because they had the more talent. But they would have been more, you know, not a, more complacent with it. This year's team came out like it was a Final Four game. They were fired up. They were, you know, getting all loud and excited. They were There was a lot of talk on the court, diving for loose balls. They, this team has a chip to them. I, and I like that chip. That's something we didn't have last year. It's that grit. I, I'm right there with you. I think they came out of the first half. I mean, had three guys diving out loose ball in the backcourt. And, I mean, that's Carolina basketball right there. That's that's what we know. And I feel like we missed that last year. I feel like we had guys all year, not just in scrimmages or exhibitions, but I feel like all year we had guys sleepwalking through games. And a lot of those games were close games. I think we had seven or eight losses by less than six points. I mean, that changes a season right there. If you take those eight losses away and give them eight wins, we're talking about probably a, five, a six or a five, four seed in the NCAA tournament. But you can't sleepwalk through games, especially in the ACC. We all know that. So to see it in a scrimmage or exhibition was very promising and very pleasing. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I touched on Davis, okay? Ingram's a guy that my family has heard me. I'm sure they want to put tape on my mouth because I was so upset when that man committed to Stanford. I will say it a million times this season. I was distraught. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what I texted my family. I was so devastated. And now he's in Carolina blue and I'm loving every minute of it. He's that glue guy. Like you said, he does a little bit of everything. He's going to bring that leadership that they need that vocal. And he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. The guy that really impressed me in this one, and obviously Cadeau is is Cadeau, and we'll get to him, but Zayden High, that guy's motor is incredible, and you can't teach hustle. You can't teach that. And he's a kid that he is going to force his way into the rotation because of the fact he does all the little things. He's not looking to score 15 to 20 points, but he'll get the rebound, he'll put it in. He'll tip the rebound out, get them an open shot. He does the winning things. And that is something that is going to be so valuable off the bench for this team. Because if Armando gets in foul trouble, if Ingram gets in foul trouble, if Withers gets in foul trouble, you have a capable body in Zayden High. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned he does a little bit of everything uh, against uh, San Agustin. 11 rebounds, 10 points, three blocks, and had an assist. So, I mean, very well, very efficient, too, from the field, four of six, and made both his free throws So in 20 minutes. So, he he did a little bit of everything, and I think the rebounds is probably the most important thing that stands out to me because, and and that high motor helps that because rebounds are mostly effort and hustle. We know that, and we've heard uh, Armando Baycott say it. We've heard Hubert Davis say it. Two years ago, they were one rebound away, and so having that drive can help get you back there. You need those rebounds. Every every loose ball matters. And having a guy with a high motor really helps. I'm really looking forward to saying high. I feel like he's somebody that a lot of people slept on during the offseason. Coming in, getting a little bit overshadowed in that freshman class by Elliot Cadeau. And then obviously all the transfers coming in. 
think high is going to surprise a lot of people this year. And then you look at the scrimmage and you see them tipping out rebounds to the to the guards and getting those shots. And you heard Roy Williams all the time saying that, you know, you get a very high contested shot when things like that happen. So it is an important aspect. Now, let's turn to Cadeau because, again, he comes off the bench like we've talked about. It's probably going to be uh, Paxton Wojcik in the starting lineup to start the year. Obviously, things could change. But Cadeau comes off the bench, picks up a couple early fouls. You know, not ideal, but he's a young pup. He's going to have those situations. But what I could kind of compare him to, and, and again, it's me being a, a New Jersey guy and growing up watching the Nets in their prime when they had all those guys. Vince Carter was a net at the time. This kid passes like Jason Kidd. And it is just incredible to see some of the passes he makes. Left-handed, right-handed, not looking. Uh, he made so many winning type of plays that, yeah, not all of them show up in the stat sheet, but they haven't had a playmaker like this probably since Kendall Marshall. Yeah, we've heard that comparison for about a year now, right? And that's got to make Carolina fans excited. I mean, Kendall Marshall, probably the best point point guard we've had in the last 15 years, going back to Ty Lawson. And uh, Carolina's known for having great point guards, and there's been a lot since then, Marcus Page and Joel Berry, and those guys are great. But Kendall could really pass the basketball and share it well. I think Cadeau showed flashes of that, like you said, made good passes. And not every pass and not every assist is going to show up in the box score. The whole the old Carolina assist, where it's an assist to an assist, so a pass to a pass to a basket. Those don't show up on the stat sheet, but it's counted in uh, old, the Dean Smith fashion. And so he had four assists against in the uh, exhibition. Only had one turnover. Twenty two minutes. He, he like you say he picked up some fouls early, but that's that's part of being young. Uh, how do you feel about him coming off the bench? I, I was just going to touch on that. You, I think you start reading my mind now. It's kind of, it's, it's really awesome and kind of creepy at the same time. But for me, I think about it this way. If they think that he's best off the bench, then I'm okay with it. Now, obviously for a five-star that's highly touted like him, not many guys would be willing to take that sacrifice to go off the bench. He's willing. And what I absolutely loved about watching him in the scrimmage it didn't matter if he scored the ball or one of his teammates scored the ball. He had a bright smile on his face like he just got candy on Halloween. Like, he was genuinely happy that the team was succeeding, and it showed. And the energy and the upbeatness, and he comes on the court. You know, I'm okay with him coming off the bench. I really am. I, I think that he'll work his way into the starting lineup. I, I do. But for now... Let him grow and mature. And you know what? He'll get to that point where he's a starter. I, I really think he's going to be a one and done. I I, I do. I, I don't think we're going to see him pass this year because not only does he have the right mindset. And again, I feel like that's, you know, his upbringing, his family and being around Link Academy did a great job. He went to Bergen Catholic as well by me. And I'm sure he learned some good things from there as well. But it just seems like this kid gets it. And I think that when he figures out, you know, how to limit the fouls and grow up very quickly in the ACC, he's going to be a star. You mentioned his excitement level when another teammate made a play. Reminds me a lot of Kobe White. Kobe. Did yeah, that. that's true. 
Kobe did that a lot. Like Kobe was more excited when somebody else scored than when he scored. And that that's really great to see. That shows great team chemistry. Shows like they love each other. They're they're battling for each other. I, that's that's great for team success. And I'm really excited to see that. I'm okay with him coming off the bench as long as it's for the better of the team. I'm a little concerned about seeing how him coming off the bench works minutes with RJ. I want to see him and RJ on the floor as much as possible together. Oh, me too. And it seems like it helps RJ as far as working off the ball a lot more. It seems like the the way they're working it is that RJ starts the game at the point and he, he starts getting everybody else involved. I'm assuming and again, I'm not in their coaching staff, so I don't know. I'm assuming that the early game plan is to go to Armando and to feed him early. That's why you have RJ on the court at that point taking over the control. Then when Elliot comes in, Elliot comes as your lead guard and the facilitation goes to the shooters because then everybody's focused on Armando and it opens up the shooting lanes. And I, I just feel like that's going to be like the, the recipe early on until teams say, you know what, we're going to double Armando out of the gate and we're going to dare you to shoot. And I think that they're capable of, of meeting that challenge. They're definitely capable of meeting that challenge. I mean, even guys like, do we see Crane Levo in real games this year for an extended amount of time? He was three or four from the field, from three-point line this uh, in this scrimmage. Crane Lebo is my hero. He, he can I, play. I mean, I, I think we can, can see play. him. Game. I think we can see him in some games. Listen, it's not out of the realm to think. He he got a lot better. He works his butt off, and, and you could tell, like, these guys aren't just there for, for the fun of it. Like, listen to Jackson Watkins' podcast, too. Like, those guys live for those moments of playing. And sometimes it's those underdogs that want it more. Not to say that the guys that are playing don't want it, but they're, when you want it that bad, you're going to make those plays. And, and he was fantastic in that scrimmage. Jalen Washington was fantastic in that scrimmage, shooting the ball. He he started off a little slow, but he got into rhythm. You know, this team has a lot of talent. That's something that I honestly don't think a year ago we could honestly say. Jalen Washington, two of three from three. It's impressive. But I feel like uh, this team's I feel like this team's gonna shoot the lights out of the gym. I, I really do. I think like Cormac Ryan's gonna have like a stellar year. Paxton's gonna shoot. Harrison's going to shoot the ball well. RJ's going to be an All-American. I, I just have really high hopes. They took a little too many threes for my liking. I know they got a little ha- trigger happy there at the end with the game out of hand. But 35 threes is a little too much. But, I mean, you mentioned Cormac Ryan. He only played a half. And he could return, sprained his, tweaked his ankle. But he looked good. I mean, four of six from the field, two of four from three. He's, he's a guy that he's going to bring that energy and intensity. And he's ready to fight. Hubert, we've heard him say for three, two or three years now, he's like, he wants guys ready to go to, looking for a fight. And Cormac is looking for a fight. I think all Carolina basketball fans remember last year when he chased down Puff Johnson and him and Caleb Love went face-to-face in the Smith Center. Carolina fans probably didn't like that at the time. Uh, but that's the guy you want on your team. Uh, you might not like it when it happens against you, but that, that's the guy you want ready to battle. And I, I think uh, Cormac's going to be impressive for us. I think he's going to be – the defensive intensity guy, he's going to try to lock down some guys. And you got to find a way to replace Leaky Black. And I think Cormac might be that guy defensively. And you look at it from last year's team. And I don't want to I don't want to be rude by saying this, but it kind of felt like they were fake tough. 
like Caleb Love is a tough individual. Like he is. Like you cannot question that. No offense to the rest of them, but when they got bullied, they they let teams bully them. Like with Cormac Ryan, it feels like he's a legitimate tough guy. Like he's gonna come in, he, he will take the beating. He but he won't let you win the fight. And that's what this team needs. They need that veteran that's going to be like, you know what? This is how we do things. This is how we're going to operate. Yeah, and I think another uh, aspect of that is not only being tough, but then being able to back it up on the floor. And I think this guy, I think Cormac and this team has a lot of guys that can back it up. It's not just being tough, and then you're going to go out there and go one of six from three or two of ten from the free throw line. I think this, this team has a, a bunch of tough guys that can back it up on the floor and with their uh, emotions. And when you look at this team, think of the roster makeup, Armando and RJ coming back. They're hungry because why they want to rewrite the shift. They want to rewrite the narrative of what they experienced last year. Same thing with Seth and, and Jalen. You don't come back unless you're hungry to rewrite that and to improve and be better. Then you look at the transfers, Harrison, you know, Stanford wasn't, Anything to wow you? Cormac came from Notre Dame. That in itself, I don't really have to talk about how bad they were. Paxson coming from a smaller school, but has Carolina ties and, and dreamed of this. These guys are hungry. They want this. There's a difference. There's there's a motive. And that's why you see in a scrimmage them coming out and playing like it's the Final Four. That was kind of like a Final Four for them, playing in front of the fans at the Dean Smith Center. Like for the first time, a lot of those guys never experienced that. Yeah, exactly. And then you mentioned a bunch of guys there. Jalen Withers played at Louisville last year. They did not have a good year at all. They were probably the worst power five team in the country and or power six team in the country. And he didn't get to play Friday night, but he's a guy that brings a lot of athleticism at the wing. And he can be another guy that provides some versatility, some athleticism to go along with Harrison Ingram. Team has a lot of talent. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they got this year. Uh, you got any preseason expectations? Anything like that going on? You looked at the well, schedule in full? I, I have looked at the schedule multiple times. I think I live on the schedule because I'm just <laughs> like so excited. Listen, I should really you tell changed, the people this. You changed your Jets ticket game. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you ever want to question my love for Carolina basketball, just know I was supposed to go to the Jets game on Monday Night Football, and then I remembered that Carolina basketball plays Radford, and I changed my tickets to make sure that I was going to a game that was not on a Carolina basketball day. And I checked both men's and women's. So I am dedicated to this, and I am way too excited for it. I think this is a 20-plus win team. I really do. Um, Do I think they win the ACC? I don't know. They could probably compete. I think they're top three caliber. I wouldn't say that they're not. Maybe Miami might be a little bit ahead of them, but two and three could really be interchanged. I don't I don't know how Duke is gonna be. You know, everybody's hyping them up. They could have a letdown. But I, I would say 20 to 25 wins is is doable. I think sweet 16th with the Elite Eight would be very doable. Um veteran teams win in March. You and I both know that. You know, who say that this team with veteran leadership doesn't go far and Cadeau by then is going to play like a veteran, you you would think. And Zayden High is going to be a veteran at that point if you get him the minutes that he needs to grow. So my expectations as a team, I, I think that they could be a lot better than they were a year ago. 
we need to get with Brian Isles or somebody to find out uh, what the if this is the oldest team in college basketball because this team feels really old. I think Cormac is twenty five. Yeah. I think Cormac's twenty five. Mondo's like twenty four. Mondo's twenty three and I think turns twenty four in the season in the during the season. RJ's twenty two. Pax is twenty three. I mean, this might be the oldest starting five in college basketball. Some of these guys are older than an NBA team at this point. You know, you got a bunch of young guys so on NBA teams. Uh, you said it best. I think veteran teams win in March, and that that can be the driving factor amongst this. I, I'm right there with you. I think this is a second weekend type of team. Sweet seen Elite Eight with the potential and the ceiling to go to the Final Four. Uh, if they put if they put the pieces together, if they make the shots, if they get the rebounds, do the little things. That same intensity they have Friday night, they're not going to have it every game all year. You're you're you can't you can't have it for 30 games a year or 30 nights a year. But you can have it for 20. You just need to have it when the, in the games that matter. And that, that that's in March. And get into March and give yourself a chance to make a run like you did two years ago. And Baycott and RJ were on that team that made a run. And they, they can help drive this force. I, I think 2025 wins sounds about right. Not sure about the non-conference portion. I, I think they might get tripped up by Kentucky or uh, UConn maybe. Do they get through the non-conference undefeated? No, but they better not lose to UConn because I'll be there. So they cannot lose that game. That is a no-no. They, 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 they could lose are any are other winning, game. Are they winning the battle for Atlantis? Yeah, that's a tough Iowa, slate. Northern Iowa, winner of Villanova, Texas Tech, and then Arkansas, Memphis, Michigan, or Stanford? Probably facing Arkansas. I'd probably say... Win two and, and two, tough. or you might might get to might get to the Atlantis championship. Might win Atlantis. If you get to Atlantis, you start I, I could pretty, see it. If you get to Atlantis, you start feeling pretty good. You get Tennessee at home. You get Florida State yeah. at home, and then and then you get get UConn and Kentucky on neutral sites. I, I think that they could get out of non conference play with a pretty Too good awesome. record. I don't. Maybe two or th- two or three losses. I don't think that I don't think anybody's going to go on beating through non-conference play. I think that the way the schedules are going and everybody's playing, you know. And remember, the college landscape is so much more even now. There's so many good teams. The like, there's no real great teams, but there's good teams. The portal, man, portal helps. Look at us. The portal. The portal has done wonders for this team. It, it's a whole new look, you know. And certain, if you're Carol, if you're Carolina. You're looking at it, and you, and you said it. You're like, yeah, you're not going to have it every night. Yeah, but last year it was if Caleb, RJ, and or Armando were off, Carolina lost the game. And that isn't the case this year. They have plenty of guys that they can rely on. If RJ's having a bad shooting night, you know, you have guys who could fill the void. If Mondo's having trouble in the paint, you have other guys. Uh, I don't think we know what this team looks like until after the first three games in January. To be honest, those first three games—that's a fair assessment. Yeah, those first three conference games are really going to tell the story of what this team might look like because those three games are against three teams that have gave us a lot of problems the last few years, and they're all three on the road. You got to go to Pittsburgh, who we know the history there in the last five games and the Capels and all that, all that nonsense, and then you got to go to Clemson, and then to NC State. Those three games, man. If they get through those three games two and one or better, 
you might start feeling pretty good as a basketball fan. It, it, depending on how the non-conference goes, if you get through the non-conference with two losses and get through those first three with one or less, it, it starts looking pretty good. Yeah, they. I think that the sky's the limit for this team. It's a matter of how they gel and how it all plays out. You can't predict injuries at this point. You can't predict how other teams are going to be in their injury situation. So looking at it now, there's room for optimism with this team. There's no room for negative part because you look at this team, they have more depth, they have more size, they have more shooting, they have more veteranship, they have more passing ability. They have everything you look for in a good college basketball team. It's a matter of if they could do that through a 32-game slate and then in the tournament. We done talked about how optimistic I am as a Carolina fan in general across all sports. So, of course, I'm sitting here saying, can they go through the non-conference undefeated? What else would you expect from me? So, uh, I, yeah, I mean, these first three games are games they are more talented than their opponents. Radford on Monday night, 7 p.m., ACC Network, and then you get Lehigh and then UC Riverside before they get into that battle for Atlanta. I think these first three games are going to be Hubert figuring out lineups, playing with different lineups, and playing different rotations, and guys on the floor. Again, Cadeau, those and high, those crucial minutes as freshmen to see how they handle real game action. Yeah, they played in the exhibition. They played in a scrimmage against Florida Atlantic, but Monday night is for real. It's it's weird to think it. It had it came so quickly. I feel like I've been waiting for this since the, the season ended last year. Like I'm, I can't wait for Carolina basketball. And we hope that you kind of feel the same way. It's almost gold time. We have something to be positive about for now. At least at least Carolina football got us to November first before disappointing us. Almost. Listen, give them credit. They got us to that point. A lot of teams, their season was over in September. So for us. A lot of teams would love to be six and two. Uh, I know. I could probably name about like three. I would love to be <laughs> six and two and lose to the two worst teams on your schedule. But hey, it's all right. Hey, it's it's good. Matt talked about how tough the schedule was. And we've not played, we've only played two teams inside the top 50. Two. And we have two losses. <laughs> Carolina basketball <laughs> here, Monday night, ACC Network, Radford in Chapel Hill, 7 p.m. Looking forward to it. I was I, Listen, I thought – I, I legitimately thought you were going to just wrap up the show for us. You were going to take the reins on wrapping up. Listen, I thought you were going to give us that, say, Carolina versus Radford, Monday night, 7 o'clock, ACC Network. I'm Jordan Falls. That's Nick Bellahanty. We'll see you on next week. I thought you were going to give us that. No, I wasn't sure if you want to talk more about Carolina basketball. We can talk for hours. We could, but you know what? We'll save something for next week. Yes, sir. So, I think it's only fitting. Wrap us up. Thanks for having us on uh, Talking Heels. I'm Jordan Falls. That's Nick Delahunty. Go Heels. Go Heels. (laughs) 